Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by DreamDrive.life. Explore Japan in comfort and style in a rental customized camper van. Discount code later in the podcast. Hello, everybody. If you're a regular listener to Now and Zen, you'll know many of my fascinating guests are non Japanese who live in Japan. So it's always fun to have a bicultural Japanese guest on the show and get their insights and perspectives. So, this episode, I speak with Yuko Tamura. She's an award winning writer on the Medium platform and the editor of Japonica, the publication for everything Japan. She describes her writing as fun facts about Japan and a little rebellious essays from Tokyo. We discuss some of her articles and why she calls them rebellious, including the three facts you should know before marketing to Japan. Yuko is passionate about cross cultural topics and offers insightful advice she would give both Japanese and English speakers to avoid misunderstandings. We chat about writing for Medium, the opportunities for writers, and why she selected this platform for Japonica. Some of the topics we dive into include gender inequality in Japan, how she became bicultural despite never living outside Japan, and many other interesting stories from her experience working for both Japanese and foreign companies. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Yuko Tamura. Sometimes funny things happen when one is bilingual because I often write in English. A few days ago, a Japanese woman commented on my post. She was obviously Japanese from her name, but I posted something in English. So we started chatting in English, and for a while we were chatting in English. But it was okay, but suddenly she switched to Japanese. Oh, really? And then we became like, very polite, oh, you're scolding us. But wow. yeah, so it was so funny. But thanks to the icebreaker yeah. <laughs> of English conversation, I felt really close to her and wow, whole, it was interesting. The whole communication dynamic mm -hmm. changed when you went from English to Japanese. Yeah. We've tried to get you. On the podcast for <laughs> some time. Sorry about that. No problem. There were a few cancellations and so forth, but it's actually a good thing、mm -hmm. because when I first wanted to interview you,、yeah. which was about maybe two months ago,、mm -hmm. you've been doing so much more in the two months. You're always creating, you're always writing,、right. and so we have even more to talk about now than we would have had. Two months ago. So, in、uh, a way, it's a bonus、true. for us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.、Uh, Yuko, you are a writer and the editor in chief of Japonica. It's described as fun facts about Japan and a little rebellious essays from Tokyo. <laughs> What do you mean by rebellious? Yes. When we started Japonica, we were, we were supposed to have you know, beautiful stories of Japan. Japan is so nice, scenery is a beautiful, great culture. But actually, people living in Japan experience so many difficulties in many aspects. People tend to face some communicational difficulties or cultural gaps. So we are now kind of revealing some. Dirty aspects of Japan, like 
how bad English education at Japanese school is, or how gender inequality is a serious problem in Japan. So right. yeah, it's been a really interesting ride. So Japonica is based on the Medium mm-hmm. platform. Right. Why did you choose Medium mm-hmm. to host your Japonica site? Mm-hmm. It's almost like a portal. I'm mm-hmm. not even sure if that's a word anymore, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like a, a, a portal of many independent writers mm-hmm. writing about mm-hmm. Japan. You're the editor-in-chief. Mm-hmm. And so how did this idea come about, number one, and why did you choose Medium as the platform? I started writing on Medium for my practice, in fact. So <laughs> I didn't expect publishing from big publications or let alone starting my own publication. But gradually, I got some readers and I joined the paid system of Medium and I started making money. So you started as just Yuko Tamura Mm -hmm. writer on Medium. Yeah. It's pronounced Japonica, right? Japonica, yeah. So then the idea to create Mm -hmm. this one-stop shop uh, for everything about Japan, Mm -hmm. how did that idea and how did that business idea come about? Mm -hmm. There were so many um, American writers who write about Japan, but some people were writing a little bit far from the facts. I wanted to disseminate the true fact or true story of Japan and having my own publication to spread what I want to spread about Japan was my dream and my goal from the beginning. I knew it would be so difficult without someone's help. Once I started joining um, Slack communication with other writers, I I met DC Polter who is American entrepreneur. DC is a great writer. DC Poulter. Mm-hmm. He's another co-editor-in-chief? Yeah, co-editor-in-chief. Actually, he's the owner of Japonica. Okay. So, yeah. So, owner should be one person. <laughs> so, yeah, DC became the owner. We just chatted about Japan and as a writer on Medium. He said, let's collaborate. DC suddenly said, Hey, why don't we start a new publication about Japan? Yeah, why not? It was really challenging for us because we have our own different main jobs and right. daily lives. He invited a lot of writers to Japonica publication. And so now on, on Japonica, you have over 30 contributing writers. Mm-hmm. What is your pitch to get new writers or to join you on Japonica what's said another way what's in it for them why should they join with you and write on your platform Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. versus doing it independently my pitch would be we are really supportive especially for new writers how do you support them you know you have to know some basic rules how to title articles better or how to promote your articles. You have to be familiar with the system of Medium itself. You know, having someone's opinion is really great. We do edit. Well, you're the editor-in-chief, so does that mean that every article that is submitted to Japonica, do you check it first? Oh, yeah, we do. Usually, DC takes care of some grammatical errors or typos on articles. What about content? Are there some articles that are submitted 
that you see the content. Mm-hmm. You say you want to be a little rebellious, but you know, rebellious could be subjective. Yeah. One person's rebellious might be another person's controversial. Another person's rebellious might mm-hmm. be inappropriate. So how? What's that line for you? Of course, if it's totally inappropriate or you know out of the question, we have to decline, and it happens. But usually, DC and I, we are trying to be inclusive, and if we cannot fully agree with the argument of the author, we try to publish as much as we can. We are just editors and writers, and we respect their views. I'd like to talk about some of your articles. Here are just a few titles mm-hmm. which caught my eye: Japanese companies versus American firms, collaboration or competition. Three reasons Japanese people will never master English. Five things that I think Japanese men suck at. Three facts you want to know before marketing to Japan. Now these titles are very direct. Is this by design to make them eye-catching or controversial, or is this just your personal style? To be honest, it's. Not my style, because titles need to be really snappy and eye-catching. It shouldn't be clickbaiting, but、um, still, you know, you have to persuade your readers to take action and click on the article.、That's、so、true. it must be, yeah, really easy to understand and catchy. Alvin says it must be arresting. So <laughs> you should arrest readers to click on your. So how I discovered you was through your article, "Three Facts You Want to Know Before Marketing to Japan." I read through it. I said, "Wow, that's that's pretty interesting."、Mm-hmm. Who is this Yuko Tamura-san?、Mm-hmm. And so then I started to go through some of your other articles, and I went, "Wow!" And then I subscribed or I followed on on Medium. So, what are the three facts everyone should know before marketing to Japan, Yuko? First of all, Japanese people really try to be always nice, and we are afraid of being rude or offensive to someone. So we would really rather die than being being rude. Japanese would rather die than be rude. <laughs> That ties into the hone and the tatemae aspects of Japan. Is this true? Yeah, that's true because we are not getting used to agree to disagree. We cannot just feel okay to disagree with someone, and especially at Japanese firms, people try to make a unanimous decision to go or not to go. So,、um, how would you define honne? So I usually explain honne is the true feelings of people. Oh, that's difficult to explain. Yeah, well then let's let's try tatemai first, <laughs> because hone is the opposite of tatemai, right? right? right, right so right. what is tatemai? Because not everybody that listens to this podcast speaks Japanese、mm-hmm. or knows a lot about Japanese culture.、Mm-hmm. So that concept of hone and tatemai is is culturally deep and ingrained in Japan.、Yeah. What's you as Japanese?、Mm-hmm. How would you describe tatemai? That's a difficult question. Usually, I explain tatemai as a public opinions. People try to be nice, especially at public places or official meetings.、Yeah. 
They try to state something nice, something sugar-coated. And that's because they want to keep harmony. Right. We're afraid of being rude or disagree with someone. And that ties into marketing to Japan in a way that if you are a foreign business and you come to Japan and you have a business meeting, a lot of times you'll hear things that sound positive, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that it's true. That's, that's true. And it happens among Japanese people too. For instance, I do English teaching online and sometimes I do talk to my potential students and I explain the package or you know, what kind of programs or service we can provide. And they say, oh, this is really helpful and I have to try this. But, you know, let me think about it and I will reply later. And then sometimes they ghost and they never reply. Oh, really? Yeah, and it happens. It's difficult even for Japanese people to read. This is, is this tatemai or their true feelings? Right. And especially at work, Japanese people try to be polite after the meetings or after seeing clients. Japanese people suddenly start sharing their own true feelings or opinions right. after the meetings. Right. I've worked for both Japanese companies and one American firm. When I was working for a Japanese company, I was so quiet during meetings, even if I have some opinions. Why didn't you speak up? <laughs> meetings in Japanese companies are like regular routine and it's sometimes ritual stuff. Formality? Yeah, people just pretend everything is okay, <laughs> nothing is going on. Okay, so uh, the three facts you want to know before marketing, number one would be understanding Honne and Tatemai. Okay. What would be the second one? The second one would be decision making takes much longer at Japanese firms because oh, people yeah. tend to be afraid of being held accountable. Let's say when a sales rep have to make a decision if he or she can give some discounts. Usually they can't make a decision on their own and right. they have to check with their boss and then the manager have to check with <laughs> upper management or <laughs> yeah it's like a decision supply chain right? it's like a snowball roaring down and getting bigger and bigger and but, but collecting people and decision yeah. makers not right. snow that's that's a great right. analogy yeah i've had that experience we're meeting with some client mm -hmm. and their proposition is really nice mm -hmm. and sometimes i'll say immediately okay we'll do it no problem let's do it my Japanese customers are taken back. Oh, wow, that was fast. So they were not expecting a decision to be made in that meeting. They were probably expecting the typical process, wait a week or two weeks or whatever. And they did say that that's very refreshing, working with a foreign company, because you get the decision very quickly. Okay, so yeah, decisions take longer in Japan than other countries. This is for sure. Japanese companies are, I don't want to be offensive, but they often make decisions based on their feelings towards their clients. They make their decision based on their feelings or relationship with mm -hmm, the client. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a client that they've done business with for 50 years. Mm -hmm. And let's say I'm a new company coming in and I make a pitch for the same business and maybe my conditions are even better. 
Maybe it's cheaper, maybe it's faster, maybe delivery is guaranteed, but their existing supplier may be a little more expensive. They will select the supplier with which they have the long-standing relationship rather than the new customer yeah. or new supplier. Is that what you mean? When I was working for a Japanese firm, we didn't do any bidding or those trying to have some quotes with, from other suppliers. No, so we I were, meet the- yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, what is Aimitsu in English? Competing bids, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's to get quotes from two or three different suppliers. Right. We were just renewing the contracts with existing suppliers. And also the length of the contract must be much longer in, at Japanese firms because right. they work together so closely. And the payment terms as well mm. are usually much longer. Okay, so we've got two. What is the third fact that you should know before marketing to Japan? So obviously, as we've talked, um, respect and mutual trust is very important. And that's why Japanese firms, they don't do open bid or open competition among suppliers because they trust each other and nurture the relationships for so long. So I was kind of shocked when I moved to an American firm and I was in supply chain management team and I had to do global bid like every year and everything was so open and if the numbers say this is the right decision, we had to stick to it. There was no room for you know personal feelings or very transparent. Yeah, it was very transparent. Yeah. So Yuko, hypothetically speaking, if you were a cultural consultant, what advice would you give to Japanese to avoid miscommunication issues with English speakers? So I have two solutions. First one is body language because we tend to fake smile even when we are not okay or we feel like we're misunderstood. That's true. When you think your counterpart is misunderstanding you or when you don't get the meaning of question, you can just ask and you don't need to be polite all the time. Right. And you can make a funny face like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can do that. This is my experience, but um, Japanese companies don't take minutes during meetings. That's true, too. They don't send some wrap-up email or those final confirmation. Action points. Meetings and conferences at Japanese firm is very vague. What's the purpose of this meeting? Right. What's the next action? You know, I recommend taking minutes or sending a wrap-up email to make sure both parties are on the same page. Excellent points. Yeah. Well, let me flip it. What advice would you give to English speakers? to avoid miscommunication issues Mm -hmm. with Japanese. Mm -hmm. First of all, offering some clear options would work. Japanese people don't say what they want in the first place. Often Japanese um, language itself has uh, complex sentences. We put so much information from subjects to verb. Sometimes there's no subject at all. (laughs) Right, we omit (laughs) subjects. Getting to the final conclusion takes really long time, so you can ask directly and offering clear options like do you prefer A to B or do you agree with A or B? You should be patient for some time because 
It takes time to get to the conclusion and build mutual trust. If you're too pushing and giving them some pressure, Japanese people try to avoid tough negotiation or tough arguments. So it's really common to just get back to the office that day before making decision. Even if the decision is so clear and it's about to be made. But, Still. but they need that time. They yeah, need right. That time. Blank period where they can download everything, and that's one advice yeah. that I always give, especially mm-hmm. to colleagues that come from overseas mm-hmm. to Japan, is when you ask a question. Often, um, Japanese will pause, mm-hmm. and but because it's in English, it's not it's not their native language. They need to first process the question, and then form an answer. And then translate it into English, and then and often what I see is that if uh, somebody asks a question and there's a pause, there's a you know five seconds. Often foreigners will ask the question again, but in a different way because they assume that maybe their counterpart didn't understand the question. They did understand it. They just need a minute or twenty seconds to kind of go through that process of. Understanding and replying. Yeah, Westerners are very. Number one, they don't like silence, and so they try to fill it. And number two is when they ask the question and they don't get a, an answer immediately, they re-ask the question sort of in a different way, which confuses the counterpart even more. So that's, I guess, patience is very important. Yeah, and also giving a clear due date or deadline if you have that would be really helpful because Japanese people sometimes take. Too long to make a decision, and without due date or deadline, they just circle back and forth. Maybe. Kind of like the deadline for your first novel. <laughs> Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers and families. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. Well, Yuko, reading your articles, you come across as very international and bicultural, yet you have never lived or studied overseas. Mm -hmm. How did you become this way without being immersed in Western cultures? In fact, the longest period of time I've stayed in English-speaking countries is the two weeks in the States. Yeah, but two weeks overseas Mm -hmm. is not enough (laughs) Western exposure to be able to have the English level, the cultural, the bicultural Mm -hmm. understanding. You've never lived overseas yet. You're the (laughs) editor-in-chief of Japanica, which is a online resource for everything Japan and bicultural. Mm -hmm. So um, where does this interest and where does this talent of yours come from? I was lucky because my father was working for a trading company and he traveled a lot abroad in my childhood and sometimes he bought 
some souvenirs from Hong Kong or other countries and I was fascinated by other countries and he took me during vacation time he took me to Taiwan or Hong Kong those you know neighborhood countries I started traveling intensively <laughs> during my college years I at that time, my budget was limited, so I traveled a lot to Asian countries first because it's near and, you know, the budget is cheap. Well, that's interesting that your initial interest in everything international mm -hmm. came about because of souvenirs that your father gave you. Yeah. That's very similar to me. I became interested in Japan when I was in elementary school wow. because my uncle lived in Japan and he brought back souvenirs from Japan Hanshin Tigers baseball cap, or it was a magazine about trains mm -hmm. and things like that. And I became interested in Japan mm. initially through souvenirs. So similar to you. Yeah, in my case, it was a toy with some really colorful slide and some TV shaped toy, and you can put in the slide in the screen and you can see the night view of Hong Kong oh, and there cool. were a, yeah, a ton of cars. Like a viewfinder. Did you did you click it and it, it had different yeah. scenes? Yeah. The Victoria's Peak mm. and then it was the night right. night view of Hong Kong and then it was like, you know, some market or there were a lot of slides and you can just put it in and out. Yeah. And I remember that. Yeah. I was already interested in English, so my father asked me to do something similar to interpreter. He usually asked this, or you should order this. Right. During that trip, when I was 12 or 13, and I think it was the first time for me to do something actually communicating in English with people in foreign country. Wow. So it was really exciting. So it was that experience which crafted your trajectory in life. Yeah, yeah. It says in your biography on Japanica that you are passionate about cross-cultural topics, travel, food, fashion, parenting, and equality. You write quite often about cross-cultural topics. Specifically, which topics are most fascinating for you? For me, English is more than just a communication tool. I've been using English for a really long time, so I feel like it's my still second language. Switching from Japanese to English doesn't necessarily change my character, but oftentimes I feel like writing in English or talking in English liberate me. And it's liberating. Right. Especially um, between Japanese people, it takes time to build relationship and become friends. Sometimes English helps me to be, become friendly and mm -hmm. open-minded. Also, English um, is a lot more direct. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe it makes you frustrated because you can't <laughs> say what you really feel. Again, this goes back to the Honne and Tatemai discussion that mm -hmm. we had. Being direct is, is liberating. Is that, is that a correct statement? Yeah, it's correct. Sometimes funny things happen when one is bilingual because I often write in English. At first, I was going to 
post, let's say, on LinkedIn, both in English and Japanese, but sometimes I forget about my mother tongue. I just write in English and put it up. And then many friends comment and reply. And sometimes I meet a new someone's friends or friend. A few days ago, a Japanese woman commented on my post. She was obviously Japanese from her name. But I posted something in English, so we started chatting in English, and for a while we were chatting in English. But it was okay, but suddenly she switched to Japanese,、oh, really? and then we became like very polite. Oh, you're scolding us. But yeah, so it was so funny, but thanks to the icebreaker、yeah. <laughs> of English conversation. I felt really close to her, and wow, whole, it was interesting. The whole communication dynamic、mm-hmm. changed when you went from English to Japanese. Yeah. In Japanese, there's a phrase, "tabi no haji wa kakiste,"、oh. which is translated as, "When you travel, you lose your shame,"、mm. which means that Japanese can be. Different or act different、mm-hmm. when they're outside of Japan.、Mm-hmm. Number one, is that a correct explanation of that、mm-hmm. phrase?、Mm-hmm. And does it relate to what you're talking about?、Mm-hmm. English being liberating for you? No, it's deeply connected because, for instance, I write a lot of about gender inequality in Japan in English because I can do it only in English. I don't write those feminism or gender. Matters in Japanese because I don't want to be in argument with Japanese people. And in Japan, unfortunately, feminists are really hated online. <laughs> so they're, they're, many times they're, they're hated by who? Usually males. Few days ago, I read an article that men in twenties or thirties feel. They feel they are unlucky because they are they have to survive this age with a lot of gender equality issues or LGBTQ matters. You know, a few decades ago, Japan was more and more male dominated, and men could、sure. do yeah anything. Still, <laughs> still anything. is. Yeah. Well, you're one of the few female Japanese writers、mm. on Medium, giving voice to the problems that women face in Japan. Where does this passion come from? So my biggest motivation comes from my daughter. For me, when I was a child, I struggled a lot to be exemplary Japanese woman. My father was pretty strict, and he made a lot of sexism remarks like, "You shouldn't be fat, or you shouldn't be wearing this baggy pair of baggy pants because it makes you look fat, or you have to, you shouldn't read." A lot because women wearing eyeglasses aren't attractive. He even said like, you shouldn't grow up anymore because too tall women are not attractive. Really? <laughs> yeah. He was joking, but yeah.、Um, yeah, at the time it was shocking. He was too concerned about my future. I think I'm an only child, so now I understand he wanted me to get married as soon as possible, have a baby, have a solid family base. Well, But,、um, it's 
partially his fault because, mm -hmm. as you said, he took you to Hong Kong. <laughs> he, he gave you all these souvenirs and opened your eyes and your mind to all these international possibilities. Yeah, so, yeah he tried to educate me as a um, just beautiful Japanese woman who is married to a decent guy who right. has a nice job. So that's formed you in a way that you now are writing about it because you experienced it growing yeah. up. What type of topics do you write about? Gender inequality or those sexism is too prevalent in Japan. Sometimes people don't know this anymore because it's already there. It's like the status quo. Right. For instance, women still need to wear high heels at some job environment. Something really strange happens, like a college tried to restrict the number of female students because female doctors quit their job pretty soon after getting married or becoming a mom. So one college tried to limit the number of female students. I've had something funny happen to me a few times. If I hold a door open for a woman, they don't know how to deal with that. Sometimes <laughs> they just stop. Oh, what do I do? I'm like, you know, dozo. And then they're happy to go through it, but it's not a natural thing for them to have a man hold a door for them yeah, as yeah. they don't know immediately what to do. Yeah, because women are supposed to follow men. Three steps behind. Yeah, three steps behind. I really like your writing style. It's very punchy, it's fun, and it's smart. And I can really tell that you like to write. You like to read, you like to write. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Thank you, Andrew. Becoming an author was, to be honest, a dream from my childhood. One of my favorite authors said she was waiting for the right time to start writing a novel. And I wondered it might be happen, happening in my life. And I was waiting for a long time working for a company as an office worker. And finally, I started writing on Medium as a blogger first. And then I practiced a lot about a different genre or different formatting. But still, I was searching for some theme or genre. Recently, I finally found this may work. Yeah, finally, I'm plotting my first novel right now. Wow. And yeah, but I'm a heavy plotter. I have to make sure everything works so smoothly. So I plot really heavy these days and trying to craft something authentic and something bicultural. Wow. What can you share? A little insight or a little. Uh, what is your theme? What is your novel going to be about? As a language lover, I have a lot of friends who are returning from the States or English-speaking countries, still struggling to fit in Japanese society. And also I have some Asian-American friends who live in the States and who feel like they're racially Japanese, but their nationality is American, so they feel like torn between two countries. I want to tackle those bicultural difficulty. Will it be fiction or non-fiction? Yeah, it will be fiction. When can we expect it out? <laughs>
You see, you need to give yourself a deadline. If you right. say it'll be ready on January 1st, 2023, right here on the Now and Zen podcast, we're going to interview you about your new novel, Yuko. Give yourself a deadline. This is my first novel, so it'll take time. I will edit a lot, but at least I have to finish the first version in this year. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Japanese is my mother tongue, but I'm trying to craft in English, so it takes time and my English needs a lot of work to edit. So oh, this novel will be in English? In English, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's impressive. Yeah. Through my writing journey on Medium, so many women mentioned, Yuko, you should keep writing this because gender inequality is here and there. And right. So gender inequality is one of my topic. But this is not a unique topic in Japan. I just want to empower women regardless of age or even gender or nationality. Okay. So, yeah. Well, you just said a word that's very interesting. I have been told there is no Japanese equivalent to the word empowerment. Is there? Mm. Ooh, I stumped you. Yeah. If you look it up in the yeah. dictionary, it'll say jiko sakinin. Oh. But that's not really empowerment. Yeah. Here's my definition. I haven't created my own Japanese <laughs> word yet, but it's like a combination of jiko sakinin, <laughs> personal responsibility, and kikubari. Kikubari. Which is anticipation. It's taking your own responsibility and proactive anticipation together. <laughs> In English, that's kind of empowerment, mm -hmm. I think. It sounds true. Yeah. Could we create our own Japanese word here today, <laughs> Yuko? Empowerment. Yeah. We could call it... Uh, empowerment. Jikobari. <laughs> Jikobari. Jikobari sounds great. Yeah. We have to come up with a kanji for it, too. <laughs> Are you comfortable talking about how much a writer on Japanica can expect to earn? In fact, it totally depends on how many followers you have on Medium or you're a member of the partnership of Medium because at least you need 100 followers first to apply for the partnership program of Medium. But Japonica really helps writers. We actively promote articles on Twitter or LinkedIn. Okay. It helps writers to get additional followers on not only social media, but yeah. Medium itself. I've interviewed a couple Medium writers in mm. the past on this podcast. One of them was Kaki Okumura. Mm -hmm. She was really great. And she explained she gets paid by how much somebody reads the whole article. Is it changed now for mm. writers, or is that still how people make money on Medium? Reading time of readers is a big deal. It has view count, also read count. You can see portion of people actually read your article. So it's sometimes harsh, but you get the numbers really directly. Right. To make money on Medium, you should get internal readership because if you get readers from outside of Medium and if they are not paying Medium fee, even if you go viral on Twitter or LinkedIn, 
your income wouldn't skyrocket. <laughs> so okay. Okay. unfortunately, it is still difficult for most writers to get paid enough on Medium. Most writers on Medium have outside income source right. and they're expecting some passive income on Medium. Uh, side hustle. Yeah. So, so the message is don't quit your day job. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> So Yuko, there is something that I do in all of my podcasts, and I always ask my guest, what is their favorite Japanese word or phrase that does not have a direct English translation? So what is yours? My favorite word is tsundoku. Tsundoku is becoming gradually popular as a borrowed word in English. Tsundoku comes from a Japanese verb to pile things up ready for later and leave it. Specifically in Japanese, tsundoku means buying books a lot and letting them pile up without reading them, actually. So I'm a bookworm and I have a lot of books at home, unfinished or untouched. And I do tsundoku all the time. Right. But, you know, it makes me happy to have some nice books. So tsundoku (laughs) Tsundoku. is normally related to the collecting or the piling up of mm. books right but it can be almost anything yeah it comes from a simple verb to pile up tsundeoku yeah. yeah so but you it, can pile up anything why is that your favorite word well i'm a bookworm and i do read a lot both digital and print if there's any great deal on kindle file <laughs> i just I can't resist and I download, but I can't have enough time to read it. You know, I keep accumulating the list of untouched books, but as a book lover, it's always nice to have intriguing books on shelves or in your iPhone. So, so it's almost like Netflix, and you spend all of your time scrolling through the possibilities. <laughs> yeah. You are that way with books. You right. like to collect all these books right. with the future promise of reading stimulation, I guess. So, Yuko, I want to wrap up a little bit by talking about Japanica, Mm -hmm. because it's a great resource for many articles all about Japan, all these bicultural issues. Where can people find Japanica, and where can they learn more about what we've talked about today? So, you can Google Japanica, J-A-P-O-N-I-C-A. There are a lot of great authors on Japanica. Please follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn, Yuko Tamura. Yeah, I will put all of these links in the mm. show notes. No, oh, thank you. So we'll, we'll connect you that way as well. Yeah. So Japonica is my lifetime project. I want to keep sustaining this place. Japonica is a great place, not only people who are interested in Japan, because we publish both English and Japanese articles. The writers of Japonica is so diverse, they're Japanese or American or Singaporean. I agree. I attest to that because I think there are three or four writers mm-hmm. that on Japonica that have been a guest on this podcast. Oh, really? Yes. Even if you are a new writer on Medium, we can support and we can help them get paid. We even try to promote outside medium on Twitter or LinkedIn. That's great. So thank you very much for your time today. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Andrew. And that was Yuko Tamura.
the editor of Japonica and soon-to-be author of her first novel. In the meantime, you can read her articles on Japonica, which is on the Medium platform. Just search Japonica or search Yuko Tamura on Medium, Twitter, or LinkedIn. To hear more discussions like today's, there are more than 50 past Now and Zen episodes from numerous Japan experts, both foreign and domestic alike. Find them at nowandzen.jp. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Sayonara, everybody. Thank you.